and welcome to the Brothers in Armchairs podcast. We are three friends brought together through our years of military service who share a common interest in movies and pop culture. I'm your host, Kenny, and with me always are my brothers, Arnez and Dell. Hey, everybody. Aloha. Let's take a quick minute to discuss our question of the day. A few episodes back, Arnez gave us a story about the world's best hot dog and the adventure to find it. I think it would be interesting to know since pop, he wanted to say popcorn. <laughs> since, uh, since, you know, hot dog is synonymous with movies and pop culture and popcorn and all kinds of amazing food that you could get at the movies that we can't get right now. And we have to make it ourselves or get DoorDash to bring it to us. I'm curious, which, what's the best place in your individual locations to have a hot dog? And just leave it to state. You don't have to give a city or a place where you guys are at. Just state. So for me, actually, it was a place that you took me to or you wanted to go to when you were living here before. And I actually had another time I went with, uh, I think my grandson was the garlic festival. Oh, they had a pretty good hot dog and they had simmered it in some garlic and grilled it on the grill there. And of course me, I like my stuff plain. So I had a plain hot dog with a little bit of garlic on it there. And the bun was just toasted just right there. Yeah, it was good. (laughs) Toasted on a fire grill. I remember that. And it was, Mm. uh, I think it was soaked in olive oil and garlic butter. I don't know, but I was just like, oh, 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 makes me hungry now. (laughs) See, now I just want that hot dog. (laughs) See, for mine here locally, I think I got to go with Regal Theaters on a regular day. They have a, I think Tuesday used to be dollar hot dog night and they break out the really cheap soggy bun hot dogs. I don't quite know why they change it over, but you know, fiscal responsibility, I guess. But on a regular night, you get what is a larger hot dog on a larger bun. And it could be because it cost me six bucks, but it's actually really good. It's my favorite hot dog in Honolulu. Oh, wow. Good. Good to know. And for me, I will tell you that it is like the hot dog desert out here. There is not a good (laughs) spot really to get a great hot dog. I have tried many. Uh, I do. I will tell you that I do get excited when we go to the Ikea. And I get the, oh, uh, oh I'm headed there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cheap hot dogs at the Ikea are probably my favorite <laughs> place to get a hot dog. But yeah, here in lovely Sacramento, there is not a good spot for a hot dog. Wow. Got to oh. make that a mission next time I visit. <laughs> All right. For today's show, we're going to start off by sharing some interesting things going on in the world of movies and pop culture <laughs> in the news. Then we will discuss anything we've seen from our previous episodes in the rehash. And finally, we'll discuss three films in our feature presentation. But before all that, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. And now, the news. Originally, I was against paying for another streamer, but I had recently stopped my CBS with both Good Fight and Picard done for the year. I thought, what the hell? I'll check this Peacock thing out. The Peacock is Universal's foray into the streaming world that is the last of the big studios to come to the table, with Disney, Warner Brothers, and CBS all already launched. The price point on Peacock is pretty reasonable. It's free. Well, the free with ads. And if you want to watch premium content with ads, then it's $4.99 a month. And if you want everything with no ads, it's $9.99 a month. Having just saved $8.99 on dumping CBS, I thought I'd spring for the full money. Get to see what this streamer has to offer. I got to tell you, I wasn't really disappointed. The Peacock only has a handful of original content, but what it lacks in original, it more than makes up for in comfort food. In fact, if you're between the ages of 35 and 50, then this streamer is for you. Do you remember a time when NBC was king of the network TV when they had all the shows like Hunter, Cheers, Frasier, Murder, She Wrote? Well, they are all here, my friends, all of them. Plus, 
Universal owns like every reality TV program on the planet from Bravo to USA. So all those are here as well. Every season for your viewing pleasure. I'm currently making my way through the King of Queens, Two and a Half Men, and of course, my favorite, Columbo. Not to mention, I've watched a few episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Uh, Talk about your comfort food. In our current environment with the world coming to an end, I've been less inclined to take on new drama or even new shows. In fact, I've been avoiding quality shows that I know I'd like, like Perry Mason or White Lines, just because I'm looking for something familiar to take my mind off everything. I haven't even been inclined to finish The Politician. This has just been TV for my soul. In fact, just this morning, I watched American Ninja Warrior Jr. What an amazing show, let me tell you. Movie-wise, this streamer has much of the Universal and USA library, so the Jurassic movies are all here, as are movies like Tully, Young Adult, and some other classics, but I'm not loving the movie content as much as the TV, so I'll tell you this. HBO Max has Friends, Big Bang Theory, Fresh Prince, and, eh, well, that's about it. Netflix has lost many of its quality sitcoms. Hulu has managed to hold on to Seinfeld and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and probably a host of ABC sitcoms you could probably forget. The Peacock is like NBC goodness throughout the years. For now, at least, I've been enjoying these nostalgic feel-good classics, and while my taste will likely change later, for now, I've been binging the hell out of these things. And that's my bit of the news. Murder, she wrote, huh? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I used to watch it too a lot. So no, I no, no. It's a great show. Don't get me wrong. I just, you know, I just can't picture Kenny watching Murder, She Wrote with like, you know, plastic on his couch and whatnot. Uh, you know, I'm about to have, I'm about to have uh, some surgery done. So I'm going to have plenty of time to catch up on some of these shows. You know? There you go. All right. Uh, I'm up for the news there. Uh, as you know, I like actually reading articles or seeing uh, movie I don't want to say get, uh, get togethers from castmates. So I actually saw one a couple of days ago. The movie, I didn't realize it, but it's been 40 years. Flash Gordon. Aww. And I love the, how they. I think, I think, you, I should, I think you should have to do that every time <laughs> Arnez says Flash Gordon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know it's, it's really funny because the article does say how whenever you mention flash gordon people say that oh <laughs> so <it's, laughs> yeah but sometimes it's ah oh. sometimes it's yeah. oh <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad to hear both of you approve of that movie <laughs> anyways they were having the the cast reassemble there uh, the six keys players uh, i don't know if you ever if you have never seen the movie. I recommend you see it there. It is a, how they put it as a oral history of epic space opera. You know, and I thought about it, I was like, you know, I think that was the first movie, or I don't want to say the first movie, but the, a very good movie that says it all. I mean, it's got songs in it. It's got action in it there, space. And what I learned about this movie is that um, George Lucas actually wanted to be the producer on this one. I didn't know that. Oh. I was like, oh. But uh, the director actually beat him to it. The yeah, I'm not gonna say his last name there, but Dino. <laughs> it's a Dino, Dino De Laurentiis, right? Yeah. That's him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and just and just so you know, Arnez, if you're ever interested, there's a really good uh, documentary that came out about two years ago that's simply entitled Flash, um, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. Like they interview um, a lot of the actors and stuff from the movies, and even Dino De Laurentiis's wife who tells a pretty cool story is about the fact that Sam Jones and Dino got into a fight and the <laughs> yes. movie was actually filmed. The ending of the movie was filmed without Sam Jones. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. So was it over, it, was it over Sam Jones wanting to party? Like it's the, like it's the eighties. So right? they didn't get into too much detail about the particulars, <laughs> but it would say it sounded to me like basically that Sam Jones got a little big for his britches and had an argument with Dino and he walked out and, 
they interview Sam Jones a little later and he regrets the whole decision, but uh, wow. it's, it's a really interesting documentary if you get a chance to watch it. Yeah. I, I would love to see this cast reunite. I think it was, I think that would be super cool. Well, do you know they were talking about making a two to it? No, oh. I did not know that. That too. I was like, Oh, don't ruin it. Don't do it. Wait, 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 do was it. That, that was the discussion back then, back in when this movie came out back then. Oh, a couple of years later, I believe it was. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they can do that. I don't even think they can make a remake of it at, at this point. I mean, like, I think they, I guess they would. Just, I, I'm unfortunately, I, I know the producers there because they're running out of stuff to write. You know, writers are eventually. I think in the next ten years, someone's going to remake this movie. You you could make a Flash Gordon remake if you leaned into the comic strip it's based on. So, yeah. I mean, remember this movie was made in the '80s, right? So we were all about the Flash yeah. and you know, like all the colors and everything, and mm-hmm. it, it has that cheese ball factor that the comic strip was actually didn't have. The comic strip was actually very serious. Serious. Yeah. Serious. Yeah. yeah. I, I would prefer they did that rather than to try to remake the original movie. Instead of make it more comedy, make it more action, make it more serious. Well, I mean, let's I face guess. it. The original Flash Gordon movie, the reason why it still rings now as it did back then was because it is so just over the top, flashy, colorful, the, the queen soundtrack. Right. I mean, yes. everything was just a culmination just a perfect culmination and it worked right if you try to remake that magic it's not going to happen but if you try to remake what what was in the comic books i think you can do it and and talk about like joining a universe if you really wanted to have something like a marvel cinematic universe with this character the king comics are pretty amazing i mean we have mandrake the magician you have the phantom you have you know basically that defenders of the earth style of crossover Without, you could just ditch the hokey kid characters that were in that thing that are nowhere mm. in the comic strips. But there's so much you could do with those King comics. I mean, you could even work Tarzan into this thing. He was part of that group as well. I yeah, got a good point there. Yeah. Okay, let's put our money together and remake it. All right, sounds good. <laughs> the Brothers of the presents. <laughs> but, I, but I want Sam Jones back. Wait, 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 you want him a cameo or you want him as Flash <laughs> right, Gordon? <really>? <laughs> <laughs> the dude still looks magnificent. He could be oh, he Flash looks Gordon. Great. <laughs> I think we need a new younger one, but yeah, you're right. A cameo. (laughs) Okay. For my piece of the news. All right. So if you didn't realize it, every time you watch a movie on, let's say one of the cable network channels like USA, TNT, TBS, you're watching, let's say it's a two hour movie, but yet it's on channel for three and a half hours. So what the network cable companies are actually doing is they're going to speed up the pace of the movie. So what would have been a two hour movie is going to run its course in about maybe an hour and 40 minutes. And then they're going to use that extra 20 minute gap and add and put ads in there. And that's how they generate more cash, more cash revenue for the uh, for the cable companies. Right. So Netflix has been fooling around with the idea to make that option available to Netflix viewers since last year. And according to uh, the Verge online periodical, they have done it. They are now allowing subscribers on Android platform only for the time being to speed up the film they are watching by 1.25 and 1.50 or slow it down as much as 0.5 and 0.75. Now, I don't know what that does for a watcher. I mean, I'm not getting any more ad revenue by speeding up a film on Netflix. So I don't know what my incentive is, nor do I really care to speed anything up and possibly take something out of the sound of the movie because pitches of voices do go up as it gets faster. However, I think this is yet another way for Netflix to try to separate themselves from the pack. If anything, for curiosity's sake, people will try it. The only downside of the service is while it is only on Android, it only allows you to set it for one movie at a time. So it is not a permanent setting. It is per film. 
Um, but anyway, I just thought that was a really interesting thing. Again, I can't find the motivation for Netflix. Like what, what is their take on why we're making this available? I just think it's another way for this streaming platform to try to separate themselves from a pack. And who knows, maybe there's people out there that do want to speed up the programs by half. I don't know, but thought it was very interesting. I mean, when we get the Pelican brief on Netflix, we can rewatch it at 1.25. Yeah, okay. It's faster. No, 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 no. If it's the Pelican, we're going 1.5. Yeah. We're going 1.5. And Denzel's voice is going to be uh, one octave higher. That's right. Okay, let's get to the rehash. You guys watch anything or want to discuss anything from our previous episode? Yes, I watched Pump Springs, and uh, it was actually quite good. Um, it was a different take from Groundhog Day which I loved about that. And there was two characters, as you said before, overall, really good movie there. There were some things I would have probably changed up if I was directing it and stuff like the, you know, the scenes where she was got that, I don't know if it was near the end or halfway through, she was trying to follow him into the cave. I think it was with the bright lights and stuff. I don't know if I would have had all that. I do like the interaction between those two, the two characters there where they were, she was trying to kill herself. And he was like, yeah, I've done this before. I like the chemistry overall it was really good. How I think near the end, he finally told her that we've done this before. You know, we slept together many times. You know, I was like, she not putting that together was kind of like, really? You, you, you think this just happened to him recently? And he's been telling you a long time ago that he's been doing this for quite a while. And she never put that together. But overall, good movie. Um, I forget the guy that was trying to kill his name. Um, J.K. Simmons. Yes. Yeah. That was pretty cool. I like that. That was kind of, oh, you know, shoots him in the leg, shoots him in the back. <laughs> Insurance uh, man. Nice touch to it, I think. Kind of broke it up a little bit and say, wait, wait a minute, what's going on? How does he know about this? But overall, I really like the movie. I think this should be, a, I think they can do a series with this. I was glad that they didn't do the series. I was glad that really? they stuck to the movie. Uh, and honestly, I was a little worried that they were going to make a series out of it. So I think ultimately where I landed with it was I was appreciative of the fact that they, they kept it to a tight movie and they left it open for part two. Cause remember the ending. Yeah. I yeah that was so kind of cool. Yeah. Did you, out of curiosity for you after watching it play pass or pause for you? Uh, I would say it's a play now. All right. I think before I give it a pause, but actually watching it and, you know, just seeing the characters and stuff, I'm like, this can definitely be a play. I can well, add it to my collection. I have questions, but uh, I think Dell saw it as well. So I, before I ask you both questions, I'll, I'll let I'll let Dell jump on and, and give us his two cents on it. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to get on top of this because I already knew Arnez was going to watch it. Kenny obviously reviewed it on my, <laughs> one of our last episodes, and so I wanted to get in on it just in case I was the odd man out when the jokes came out. So uh, watched Palm Springs a few days ago. Overall, I did. I did enjoy the movie to some extent. However, uh -oh. I did go in with low expectations. I didn't really, I wasn't really ready for the, as much drama as that movie has. It was a, it was too much drama. Remember I said, I wanted Andy Samberg. I wanted Samberg humor. I wanted Samberg style. I got some Samberg style and I got a, a heck of a lot of drama. And so the funny parts were funny. But for me, it just wasn't enough. It wasn't consistent enough. I don't, I didn't think that they found the right direction between, you know, what are we making here? Because if you're going to end it drama, I'm okay with that. But it was like comedy, drama, comedy, drama, drama, drama. It was just all over the map for me. There were funny points where I took me a little while to figure out if that was meant to be funny or not. <laughs> I, I, I was confused. It had me baffled, but 
it was a watchable movie. Some weird things happen. The Brontosaurus is, I still don't get what the deal is with that. But for me, overall, I enjoyed it as a one-time watch. But I think I enjoyed it more so because it was something new, like Arnett has, Arnez has said, right? It's Yes, it's the, it's the time trope, but in a newer way, one guy is already stuck in the loop and he's dragged in over, over however long he's been stuck in the loop. He's dragged in people with him. Uh, so I did like that kind of that aspect and that take on it. But I don't know, for me, I was kind of in the point where I'm like, pick a lane, you know, pick a lane, stay in the lane, stop moving. So for me, I, overall, I give it a pass. Oh, a pass. I, I thought pass. I thought this might have been leaning to a pause, but OK, a pass. All right. I'm disappointed. I gave you guys I gave you guys a, I gave you a dud. I still stand by it. I love the movie. I think it I think it's fantastic. But yeah, okay, all right, all right, pass. All right, so let me ask you guys a couple of questions then. <laughs> so out of curiosity, one of the big questions that gets asked online a lot regarding this movie is, how long do you think Andy Samberg was there? And I've seen every answer from oh. three years <laughs> to four years to 100 years. Like, I mean, just based oh. on how he was, how long do you think he was there? I would probably say at least four years or more. But just at one point, it just seemed like he'd been there so long you know, he was, he was comfortable when he was talking to uh, the female there, you know, like, yeah, I've already done this. I've done that, you know, and he's come to conclusion that, you know, this is the normal for him. I mean, it's, it's hard because he's, he's, he's in the same day. And so there aren't a lot of time difference references that we can grasp, nor does he give us a lot. So I'm going to say that for me, I thought at, at minimum 10 years, he's been in this loop. I had him pegged it to where Arnez had four or five years. That's where I had him pegged because it's every day, right? So if you were there every day for four or five years. That's a lot of time. Yeah, you'd know a lot about where you were going. I also do like the fact that he mentions too, like you can get where he knows all the quickest flights that you can catch right. to all the right. different locations. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. And I, I appreciated the drama points of the movie. So I was just curious, like, did you guys like the philosophical aspects of, of the film? I did. I, th- I thought it added a nice touch um, to it there. You know, the drama portions of it, uh, as far as the relationship with the chick there and the relationship he had beforehand, I thought it was a, it was a different touch to it. And it, it gave me perspective of why he was, you know, acting the way he was or doing some things there. So I would say it was I'm, I don't want to say it was needed, but I enjoyed it the way it was. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just I think the the philosophical points were too easy. I think that for a guy who potentially is stuck in there, stuck in the same day for years on end, you could go through the gambit of I'm mad, you know, I'm angry, I'm suicidal, I'm happy, I'm lying to myself, I'm at peace with this. But eventually you're going to get to a point where you're just going to make the best of the situation. And for him not to have gotten there sooner, just to me is weird. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a fair point. Uh, I, I saw it the way Arnez did. I enjoyed the philosophical aspects of it. I enjoyed hearing, you know, hearing his uh, analyzations of, you know, about pain and, you know, relationships and how they matter and interactions with people and just having that perspective of knowing what it's like to die slowly. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's got a way bigger appreciation than probably anybody else is going to have. <laughs> and well, I, also I, kinda, I think, I think that was pain motivated, right? Oh yeah. Just, sure. You don't want to feel yeah. the pain. The pain is real. Well, even like J.K. Simmons came to his realization that he wasn't going to seek revenge anymore after the, the last interaction <laughs> where it, it. it took him three days to die in an ICU. And he was like, yeah, that was terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
But yeah, I, I, I also kind of dug the whole, like he went out of his way to like experience every sort of pleasure he could too. Right. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the good part. yeah. Decided he was just going to try everything. And I just thought that was a humorous aspect too. Now that was a funny scene. Okay. <laughs> you like that one. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's Sandberg scene right there. That That's yeah. what I'm talking about. That's what I'm looking for. So I saw three of the six mm-hmm. movies you guys presented to me. So I saw the, I saw a villain. I saw Eurovision, the story of uh, fire saga and, uh, and I saw a shadow. Um, so I, I probably, I'd like to discuss Eurovision just cause uh, you know, that makes it a uh, trifecta. All three of us have seen it now. I enjoyed it. I liked it. I thought I, I like, I mean, the whole idea of Will Ferrell on Netflix scares me. Okay. As soon as I saw he made a Netflix movie, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so terrible. So, I mean, look at Sandler's first outing on Netflix was that ridiculous six movie. I mean, it was awful. I don't know. I, I really liked it. I, I, I like the, the foreign nature of it. I like the music. I really enjoyed it. I even downloaded some of the songs after I watched it just because I enjoyed it so much. I, like the bits. I like the elves. I like the little elf house or whatever that Rachel McAdams keeps going and, uh, you know, praying to the elves or whatever. And I thought that was humorous. I like the idea of like a little townhouse for miniatures out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Um, I do think uh, I agree with Dell when he had said that Rachel McAdams is the heart of the picture. I agree Mm -hmm. with that. I think she really makes, she really grounded it. I also thought it was cool that Demi Lovato played a big role in this movie. And I, yep. I'm a huge Demi Lovato fan. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. I would also say too, that on a negative side of the movie, I, I thought that this movie needs Will Ferrell, that if it doesn't have Will Ferrell, if you put Jorgen Johnson in this movie, I'm not yeah, going to watch. It's it. not going to work. Yeah. I, I feel like it was perfect in terms of Will Ferrell's casting. And I also feel like it was perfect for Netflix because the idea is so far-fetched and nuanced that if you release this in theaters, it would die on impact. No, like people are going to hear Eurovision. I don't want to see a movie about Eurovision, but this movie has more in common with pitch perfect than it does, you know, with some foreign fare in terms of comedy. I will say, because I know Arnez wants to ask me a question. I will say I give it a play mm-hmm. before we get there. And now I will entertain questions. Right. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say questions per se, but I mean, this, I think this movie had more in common with blades of glory that he did. I, I think it's, that, it, it, it's, it's kind of a concept. They come from the bottom there. They make their way up to the top. Now, even yeah, though the dog tail. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how many more Will Ferrell can do with those movies that are, you know, I'm gonna I, say, I, I think he's trapped in it. Like he's what we're looking for. Yeah. He's the yeah. Yeah. Ding dong guy. <laughs> that was a great bit. I had to admit it. That one dude in the bar is just like he owns the bar, I guess, and he just keeps yelling at him like to play that song. It was great. It was a decent movie, and, and I would watch it again, but like there's just too much in common with Blades of Glory. Well, I was shocked that this thing has a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah. this this uh this is a it's a better movie than it's getting credit well, for. I mean, on this podcast, it's uh 66 percent. I would say that's right. pretty oh, reactive. Didn't hear me. He didn't hear me. He's like, I heard <laughs> All right. Before we move from Eurovision, just real quick. What I, I read, uh, I had read somewhere that, you know, that song along, they call it the song. Yeah. Along. That was my, one of my favorite parts. So, I downloaded that song. Yeah. So those, uh, those people in the song along are past Eurovision winners. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I read that in one of the articles. I was like, oh, that's really, see, had I known that going in, I'd appreciated it much better. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. That was my favorite part of the, uh, of of the movie. Really. I I liked that song. I downloaded that song as soon as I heard it. I was like, oh my God, it was amazing. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, Del. So you still haven't seen the wrong Missy yet. I have not. You guys, you guys have uh, combined to scare me. Okay. Oh. Because Kenny really hates it, and Arnez really likes it. And it so was a I, good enjoyable movie. You know, I don't know where I'm going to fall, which is why it's not a high priority for me to watch. I only ask that question because of the fact that I'm shocked that The Wrong Missy is in the top 10, and this one is not, because this is a much better movie than that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said enough, I'm, right? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not so curious to find out. Apparently. All right, moving on. Uh, I saw Villain. Uh, which, hey, all right. Which is the Eddie? Uh, not Eddie, but the um, Craig Fairbrass hey. uh, gangster movie from the last from the last podcast. Right. Um, the one that we compared it most in common with Copland. And I will tell you that uh, it is tropey and a little slow, but it delivers with a pretty awesome ending. So I agree with you. It was a slow burn with a big payoff. Hey, uh, all right. I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought the Eddie character was really well written. I thought his portrayal was amazing. He is definitely the poor man, Sean Bean. I mean, he was pretty awesome in this movie. I like, of course, gangster mafia type movies and uh, throwing a little British for me. And I, I like it even more. I, I really like the Guy Ritchie films. And while this is not a Guy Ritchie movie, uh, you know, those gangster films have similar tropes that I typically enjoy. Obviously, it's not Copland, but I did enjoy it. I do say it's not theater worthy. This is definitely a straight to VOD movie. So when you guys watch this, please go with it with the understanding that this is not a movie you would watch in the movie theater. It is far too slow and uh, it doesn't have the same kind of massive budget a theater quality movie is going to be. But for watching it at home and uh, right now it is a, I think it's six ninety nine right now to own it and uh, $3.99 to rent. So if you're in, in, you know, in the market looking for something new to watch, I do think it's worth a, a good watch. Uh, I gave and it as, a play. And as you know, I think it's worth the four bucks. You, you, know, Ken, <laughs> did, you looked up the, how much money, what the budget was, right? I did. It's $6 million to make this movie. <gasps> Ooh. Six million bucks. And to make that movie, I, you know, for me, that's amazing. I, I think it was a fantastic film. Yeah, it, it was, it, it, they definitely did a lot with what they had. And that's why I said, there's not a bad actor in this whole thing. It would shock me. Yeah. Like I, usually when you watch these movies, you're like, oh, I'm going to look for the ridiculously bad actor, but they're all really do- done well. And even the girlfriend with yeah. her ridiculous tropey, you know, I'm, I'm a drug addict and I'm also a stripper and I've got all these problems. She still played the heck out of that character and she did a really good job. Yeah, right on, man. I'm glad you liked it. And then uh, the last one that I watched from our group was Shadow. And um, so I'm going to I'm going to caveat Shadow by telling you guys that I didn't enjoy it, but I do recognize that it's a good movie. So this movie has 94 percent of Rotten Tomatoes. There's a lot of film studies on it on YouTube. There's a lot of film breakdown of this movie. It is well written. It is well filmed. It is well acted. It just wasn't my kind of movie. It is a Greek tragedy, all right? And my biggest issue with the movie is the fact that I could not have anybody to root for. And when I run into that situation where I've got no one to root for, I lose interest in the film. And my biggest issue with this one is that the guys that wound up taking the homeland away from the main character uh, didn't seem so bad to me. 
there's these guys, they're called the Yangs, right? And it's General yeah. Yang and his son. And they took the Jing city away from the, I believe they're the Pei the tribe. Is the, say again? The yeah. Emperor and Pei tribe. Yeah, Pei yeah. Tribe. So they took over the city away from them. And so the commander, mortally wounded in his battle with the, the Yangs, who are considered the masters of the three rounds. That's what they call themselves. We're the masters of the three rounds. And so he gets mortally wounded and he, you know, I don't want to recap the whole movie the way Arnez did in the last episode, but essentially he gets this shadow to go and basically take revenge for him. And I just didn't think it was that bad. Like they, these Yang guys didn't seem so, I was more in line with the King who he was kind of spineless where he's like, let's just make peace with these people. You know what I mean? Cause they seem fairly reasonable. And then on top of that, like, <laughs> like even when the shadow does have his final duel with the general, um, and just uh, for, to let you guys know, spoiler alert, the Jing character, the shadow, he loses uh, in the three rounds. But the general, because he thinks he's fighting the same guy again, he's like, hey, hey, you know, why don't I let you save your honor, save your face? And uh, we'll just call this a draw, man. And you just go on back to your homeland. Very few people would have survived two three round fights with me. So, you know what? He wants you to go on home. And he's like, no, we must fight to the death. And you're like, wait, wait, what's wrong with you? This, this guy's going to let you live. What's, what is this nonsense? Already? <laughs> yeah, like, come on. Like, and it just in the end, like, I found myself rooting for the Yangs. Again, spoiler alert, the Yangs don't make it. So it just, <laughs> the, whole, the whole movie for me just kind of falls apart. Okay, now how well written could that possibly be if, if you ended up cheering for what should have been the bad guys? But that's the thing, right? These Greek tragedy movies are like this. I mean, if yeah. you ever watch King Lear, yeah, like yeah. there isn't really a whole lot of people to root for in King Lear. Yeah. For me, the movie as a whole, you can tell it's very well written. And, and there were at least three film studies I found on, on YouTube where, where people were breaking the movie down scene by scene. I also did not like the ending. The you're not going to know exactly what happened at the end drives me crazy. So I, you, you will not get a satisfying ending where you know everything that happened. You will get an artistic ending where you're left to interpret what happened. Maybe. Ooh, I don't think you get enough to interpret what happens, but uh, the ending is what you make it. So for me, this so is a pass. You. This is a pass. Yeah, it's well, a pass for me. Oh, so you didn't like the scenery, you didn't like the clothing, the dancing, the music. What? What? So I, I mean, like I told you, Arnaz, like I, I think it's beautiful. The movie is beautiful. It is a gorgeous film. The acting is well done. I don't think there was as much fighting in it as there could have been when you compared it to the true. House of Flying Daggers. I thought that movie was way more fight centric than this one. Mm -hmm. um, but I can appreciate it from a distance, saying, yeah, I know that this is a good movie. I just don't like it, and so that's where it landed for me. So in answer to your question, Arnaz, like, I see why you appreciate it. I know why you like it. It just landed like a thud for me instead of like, you know, instead of a bell. So. And Dell hasn't watched it yet. He just doesn't see an interest. In it. I haven't watched it, but I'm still giving it a pass. <laughs> no, I'm messing around. Now that both of you have watched it, I more than likely have to watch it. So uh, it'll be right alongside the wrong Missy. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let that slide. <laughs> I mean, I still think you have more of a chance of watching the wrong Missy than, than the shadow, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know, like I said, as far as my love affair with Chinese movies has long passed. And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. Nature. The one disaster we can't prevent is the one which writes the very rules of our existence. 
earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, the very fiercest of nature's weapons. The ones we have nothing to fight back with and are at the mercy of the brunt of their terror. But what of those times when nature evolves, gives us something we've never seen before? When a human evolves into something so outrageous, its tales become something of folklore, where the laws of nature are mutated and twisted and become their own form of weapon. Today, we take you inside an earthquake, which shakes the very foundation of Los Angeles, where a heist takes place during the fiercest of hurricanes, and where immortals shape the outcome of humanity after a millennia of battles. Today, Brothers in Armchairs will show you the guard against earthquakes in nature. Our feature movies today are 10.0 Earthquake from 2014, available on Amazon Prime, Force of Nature 2020, available for rent on demand, and The Old Guard 2020, available on Netflix. Whether you've watched these movies or not, we hope you enjoy our discussion of these three films. Hit us up on our social media to let us know your thoughts about these movies, and if you feel we missed any important talking points. Hopefully, for those of you still on the fence about a particular movie, these reviews will help you navigate the streamers. Utilizing our patented three-piece style of review, let's dive in with our first movie of our feature presentation. Ten Point Earthquake, 2014, directed by David Godali, starring Jeffrey Jones, Henry Ian Cusack, and Cameron Richardson. Available for streaming on Amazon Prime. Los Angeles is about to be hit by a devastating earthquake, and time is running out to save the city from imminent danger. Yes, I picked this movie. Um, I will say. <laughs> and someone just kicked his dog. <laughs> I will say it's a B movie, but I'll just before I give you the bad, I will say it's a D movie. So let's get into it. I mean, Kenny, go ahead. He already summed up the movie there. Basically, an earthquake. You know, if you live in California, you get always get those tremors literally every week, every month. So it's kind of nice to see this type of movie here. You know, it's, it, it's re- it could be realistic there. The script on this movie was just, the plot was good. The acting, bad. Okay, what, the plot was, was somewhat, okay. <laughs> <laughs> somewhat good, you know. It was good for a B movie. Let me put it that way. The plot was good for a B movie. I mean, it was there. it existed yes um i mean overall i mean i think dell had mentioned this a couple of episodes before there these teenage kids were just bad i'd let them go like you know what i'm not trying to save my daughter who's gonna act this bad and rude you know there was one scene where the um daughter was going out camping with four their her friends there and one of them's on a um on the front of the truck getting ready to fall over a bridge there terrible acting that whole scene there was just like just push the freaking truck over just <laughs> early i'm like get over with it i just could not help but want to kill off the characters you know just really bad you know the one thing I, uh, the good thing about this movie is there you you will see a lot of actors and actresses in it that have come a long way um <laughs> and by a long way we meet from this b movie presentation to to tv because yes yeah. yes yeah i mean uh <laughs> David, uh, uh, Jeffrey Jones, he's in it. He's played in a lot of good movies there. He's a really good actor. And I don't know what happened to this movie. I mean, I will tell you that this is Jeffrey Jones post uh, serving his sentence for raping a 14-year-old boy. So, okay, well, maybe yeah. that's what it is. I don't know. <laughs> this uh, is the kind of work Jeffrey Jones is going to get from now on. Okay, well, that may explain <laughs> why he got that. But and he should be glad to be working at all. That's right. <laughs> got a good point there, Dal, yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say the if you look at a DVD cover or um, 
a poster of the movie. It looks pretty cool. You know, it's 10.0 earthquake and look like it. I guess it's supposed to be Los Angeles destroyed. So it was like pretty half cool. the budget. Yo, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> and you're squeezing um, this out, man. Come on. Just- <laughs> you gave me the good. It's like, it, like, I mean, you're there. Like, <laughs> I mean, there's not much to say about this movie there. I mean, I know, man. You got, got a rod, got, you got a rotten lemon. Right. You trying to make rotten I lemonade. All right, I got, I got a lot to say about it. Like, can I dive in? Okay. I got okay. a lot. Go yeah, for go it. All right. All right. So I got to give the audience the beginning of this movie. All right. So our story begins with a fracking engineer who has the greatest moment of his life, completing the ultimate Jenga move. And then a quake happens. Destroying his progress, he quickly dashes into the production zone underground to check the pipes and gases and things. Wait, did anyone see him check a gauge? Doesn't matter. Anyway, his buddy comes flying around the corner and the two of them start checking pipes. And one of them needs help reaching a valve only to learn, guess what? The pipe is hot. Ah! He collapses to the <laughs> ground, writhing in pain, his hand ruined and charred. The other guy starts to help out, but wait, there's a quake now. Run! They run as the quake is hunting them down when a hole splits between the ground. Probably the smallest hole you've ever seen. My two-year-old can make this jump. <laughs> Our first engineer makes this three three-foot jump without any fear, but poor Jenga guy is out of shape. Leap, he says, right? <laughs> I'll get you. Jenga man leaps and he catches him, but he's too fat to pull up. Struggling to pull up, another quake happens and poor Jenga man is crushed with the weight of the surface brought down upon him. Oh no, poor Jenga man is dead. The other engineer starts to run, dodging pipe bursts, leaping through the tunnel, only to turn around and take a huge stream shaft to the face. Ah! <laughs> Opening credits. I mean... This is an amazing film. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> so I got to tell you, like, <laughs> they make the quake into a monster. And they show, like, little vignettes of this quake yes. destroying people's lives. <laughs> like, there's a jacuzzi scene where uh, suddenly the quake happens. <laughs> Girl goes it's the in most. It's the most particular earthquake you've ever seen in your life. Oh, yeah. It, it targets things. <laughs> The beach scene, the, the beach where the guy yeah, was on the dude. beach with the surfboard, really? What? Surfer dude comes in, he's like, dude, where are you, man? Where'd you go? <laughs> right? <laughs> no, no, no. See, what's funny is it sounds like you're making fun of the guy and how he speaks, but that is exactly what it was. It oh, was, yeah. right? <laughs> For sure. And this movie, like, it just, it's so awful. You can't help but laugh at points. <laughs> this, there's scenes in this movie, like, and there's not a single news crew at all. Like all this no, stuff right, happens. All this right. stuff happens throughout the day. Not nothing is covered on the news. That's right. Until buildings are on fire. I mean, you'd think something would get released. <laughs> I mean, the movie centers around a fracking engineer and a USGS scientist for crying out loud. These are the last two people we want to save the world, in my opinion. Just well, the main the main geo person died, and it was the 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 lady who got hired. Uh, what was her name? Cameron. Yeah, Cameron Richardson, which, yeah. by the way, she was on Harper's Island, which was a, a fantastic show that was cut down before its prime. <laughs> so I'll tell you this, my good with this movie. It's funny. The whole thing is unintentionally hilarious, which is probably why it's funny. From the ridiculous <laughs> vignettes of the evil quake getting everyone to the fact that Jack's daughter looks like she's 50. Yeah, older than him, right? Yeah. So I did some math. So I looked up these people's actual ages. The mom would have to have been 14 when she had Nicole, which makes Jack 20 when he got with mom, Stephanie. So uh, sicko, anybody. Here's, here's some quick, quick vignettes that should, should make the highlight real. Surfer dude gets swallowed by a crack in the earth. 
two people having sex get crushed by a rock as the dude is getting there. And finally, my favorite of all the vignettes, dude is out hunting with his dog, puts the shotgun on a rock to pet the dog. Dog is desperately trying to warn everyone about the quake. Quake right. happens. Gun falls, shoots owner. Dog runs away. <laughs> I know it's not funny, but I really no, did funny. laugh out loud when it happened. It's, it's still funny now. The best, the best part about that, Kenny, is somehow they made it so that the dog, whenever you see, and you see this dog throughout the movie from the time his owner dies, whenever you see the dog, the dog will bark. And that's my, my cue as an audience member to know Earthquake. something's about to happen, yes. but the people in the movie don't get this. Yeah, Quake Monster's coming. Quake yeah. Monster's coming. <laughs> if they just listen to the dog, they'd be all right. I mean, the dog by, by, by far is hands down the best actor in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, I like I, I like the fact that the movie was 88 minutes long. I mean, it's quick. Let's get in, get out. Let's have and stuff yeah. happen and let's move on with our lives. The other thing that I like is, hey, kudos to teenage Teddy, man. Getting us some much needed science in this thing. Dogs face north when pooping. Body electricity is good for charging your phone. Hey, man, thanks. <laughs> but be careful you don't get with Nicole, though, because uh, that's statutory rape right there. That girl's 50, I swear. She's 50. So I have a whole lot of bad here. I mean, I don't know if I need to get into it much. No, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, let me no, look, turn it, over to Dell. Let's see if Dell wants to it, chime dude, in the, here. The bad, is an, it, the bad is an endless bag. You, you could just, it, so f I turned this film on, and it started, and right out the gate, <laughs> the fact that the earthquake effect was a guy shaking the camera that they were using to film. <laughs> and, and you can even see in this movie, you can see like regular working dudes way, way ahead in the background, just working, you know, and they're, they're running and they're trying to escape this, this massive earthquake. And yet in the background, you see dudes just there working. Uh, they probably didn't know people were filming a movie at the time, right? <laughs> yeah, they couldn't afford to pay them to act. Oh, and hey. then you and then you get into the horrific acting, and yes, absolutely right. It's so bad it becomes comical, and now you're just waiting to laugh at something that they probably never meant to be funny. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, it, look, look, look. Okay, so the specific targeting, right? The earthquake with a brain is targeting people, and for some reason, <laughs> there's a for some reason there's this dude on a palm tree trying to cut something. I have no idea what he's trying to cut, but he's on a palm tree. Yeah, they never showing what he's cutting, huh? Well, I don't even know why he's like in the middle of the palm tree. He's not even at the top of the palm tree. So I have no idea what he's cutting. And he has, he's getting ready to cut, right? He's got his little chainsaw going. And then the earthquake comes and it decides, you know what? At this point in time, I'm going to take down some palm trees. And it just starts knocking down palm trees one at a time until this guy obviously gets knocked down with the palm tree that, who knows why he was on it. You know, I completely have forgotten about that quick monster attack. So that shows you that that is not even the most ridiculous one no, in the whole movie. No, no, it's bad, man. It's so bad. Well, the sad th part about that scene was there. You can see the palm trees coming down ahead of him. They're just coming down in order. They're like, really? You're not going to look up to see those palm trees coming down? But it's, but you know, it's from everything from the big stuff. So little stuff. I mean, even the little stuff for what was his name? The, the Bueller guy. What was his name? The Ferris Bueller guy. Oh, Jeffrey Richardson oh, or whatever it is. Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. So one thing, first things first, I'm done with that cat. I don't want to see him in anything, but he's in this movie. So I had to tolerate his presence. <laughs> and you didn't even need him. Like he no, was he a character didn't. you could have just what written was, off. Exactly. It was like, hey, we need a big name actor. Who's available for like $10? <laughs> I, know, I know who's available. This guy. And of course he leaps at the opportunity. Now, when we talk about the little stuff, this guy somehow magically throughout the film has a can of Red Bull with him, but doesn't carry a 
pack or a bag or anything. You know, where the hell is all these Red Bulls coming from? That's what it's you weird. Paid, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you got paid a, a case of Red Bulls. <laughs> weird, just wacky nonsense that, and my favorite, you know what? My favorite scene, my favorite scene is a scene where the fracking boss mm-hmm. has the main character's sidekick with him and the main character's sidekick is like, hey, sir, don't turn this on. You know, don't, don't turn the machine on oh, that's going to cause the 10.0 quake and kill Los Angeles. Don't say, and when the, what the guy does, right, is he grabs Hector by the shoulder and slaps him twice in the face <laughs> and says, don't worry about it, and then just casually walks off. I don't know about me, but I don't know about you, but somebody did that to me. <laughs> you going to throw down, huh? They're going to be torn up. They're going to be torn up. If you see, this is not a, a casual touch to the face. I mean, he actually smacks Slap him in the face up. twice. He took it I like a man, that. though. He just he, he took just, it like a man. <laughs> <laughs> he just, oh. <laughs> Hand, hands down, my favorite part of that entire movie. Yeah. And the ending, man. Did you follow the techno babble, like, oh, defeat man. the earthquake from a computer screen nonsense oh. at the end? <laughs> so bad. Oh. Well, they had to make Cameron seem smart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, and you know what? You remember when she checks into the USGS and she gets there and she meets. No one's there. She, well, no, she meets the one guy, right? Malcolm Barrett. Yeah. He's the dude from Timeless. Like, yep. they should have put him in the Jeffrey Jones place. I mean, the, the guy says, oh, it's going to suck. Welcome to the USGS. And he walks off and we never see that guy again. Like, <laughs> we see his arm when he's buried underneath the. Yeah, right. Oh, when he's dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when he's dead. 15 minutes into the movie. Okay. Huh. And you guys like the fact that they, uh, they, they let the, the major villain of the movie, they let him go, you know, like we got oh. one DHS agent that arrests him and he's like, let me make up to you guys. Let me, let me make this up. I'll just let me go. Like, he's lucky this guy isn't like McGiggles from little monsters <laughs> and puffs them all up and jumps in the chopper and flies away. I was stretching for this movie, but yeah. It, it oh, was- you were scraping. You, you were mad were at scraping. this. You were mad. <laughs> it looked good on the surface, you know, the cover, but yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, Arnez, I'm watching this film and I'm thinking, man, I know Arnez is setting us up on this one. There's no possible way. <laughs> but oh. Uh, anyway, so bad it's funny, at least. Yeah. All right. So let's repeat this up and let me see how bad it is. <laughs> so, uh, I, I will give it a pass. <laughs> Oh, it's a play. No, I'm joking. It's a pass. <laughs> well, I guess that's three passes on this one. <laughs> it's not breakdown lane bad, but it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. I will I will give it a breakdown lane pass though. So <laughs> okay. like, that's oh, how well, pass- it's a little bit of, okay. <laughs> I mean, if you're drunk and you're looking for kicks on a Saturday night and you just want to sit there with your pals and laugh, then this is the movie. But first of all, I gotta ask you two questions. A what are you drinking and surfing Amazon Prime for? And B, what are your buddies doing there when you're supposed to be social distancing? That's <laughs> anyway, right. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Just called them out, didn't you? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Force of Nature, 2020, directed by Mikhail Polish and starring Mel Gibson, <laughs> Mia Hirsch, David Zayas, and Kate Bosworth. Available for rent wherever you get videos on demand. A gang of thieves plans a heist during a hurricane and encounter trouble when a cop tries to force everyone into the building to evacuate. This was my pick. Let me give you what I call the setup. First of all, I'll tell you, this movie seemed like an interesting purchase. I was actually hoping for a tropey Mel Gibson action movie where the weather is an added obstacle. But see, that's not what Mel does anymore. 
Instead, Mel has made himself into another flawed character with no real badassery to be had and just kind of coughs his way through the picture. So many times I kept waiting for Mel to go all action hero on everyone, and even the trailer led me to believe that that was what we were going to get. He even gets top billing in this movie. But in fact, he's just a secondary character that doesn't really do much at all. So let me give you this setup. The movie follows Cartillo, played by Emil Hirsch, as a flawed transfer to the San Juan Police Department, who's just trying to bide his time until retirement. He's white, doesn't speak the language, and pretty much has no ambition to do his job at all. He lost all his ambitions since the loss of his girlfriend slash partner, a backstory so important and convoluted, the only thing I could figure out was that she was killed because they were making out and answered a call to action. Cardio is assigned to a new partner and is asked to help people evacuate to safe havens in, in an effort to save lives during the impending hurricane. His new partner, Jess, played by Stephanie Cayo, is at the beginning of her career and is eager with ambition to do the best job she can. While making a routine stop at a San Juan food mart, the two cops encounter Griffin, a person who was in the process of purchasing a lot of meat. He was then detained because he refused to share his meat with another patron who then accused him of stealing and subsequently allowed to take some of the meat while Griffin was detained. Griffin, refusing to elaborate what the meat is for, negotiates his way out of an arrest in an effort to assist the cops in evacuating a sick and old man from his apartment complex. Cardio agrees, and the three of them head off to the apartment. Meanwhile, in another part of San Juan, the evil John the Baptiste, played by the always amazing David Zayas, is using the storm as a cover to make the ultimate heist. He's stumbled upon some information in a bank that will lead him to the ultimate treasure of rare paintings. And after finding the last piece of information, hey, he just executes the banker. Why not? I'm sure he's betting that he was just irritated or something or wanted to look cool and heads off to the same apartment complex where a bloodthirsty showdown is likely to occur. Now, at this point, you might be asking, uh, where's Mel Gibson? Well, we're getting there. After arriving at the apartment complex, you learn Mel is the old man Ray is refusing to leave the building. His daughter, Troy, played by Kate Bosworth, who is also his doctor, is desperately trying to get him to leave and go to a hospital. Ray is a retired cop who happens to have a lot of medical issues and is, of course, all up in the latest cop gossip. He knows who Cardio is and makes a lot of derogatory comments toward his policing abilities and how he lost his partner. Cardio turns to Griffin and says, take me to the old man. Jess, you got this. Griffin says, hey, I got to go feed my pet. So then Cardio asks Dr. Troy, hey, you know this old man? Come help me get him out of the building. Jess stays with Ray and the two go off to go talk to the old man. Troy and Cardio encounter the old man who is part German. Uh, you guys see where I'm going with this and is refusing to leave. Troy starts to try to convince the old man when we hear a commotion out front. Why, it's John the Baptiste. He's here and he's ready to start killing and find all these paintings. He executes a resident who is putting up storm shutters. Cardio sees this, grabs the old man and Troy. We got to get out of here. And it begins the evening of ridiculous action. So I'll give you guys the good. David Zayas <laughs> is a great actor, but uh, honestly, I've loved him since Dexter and I kept hoping he'd get a spinoff show. He plays bad well enough, but sometimes it feels like he was like a last minute replacement. They were like, hey, we need a bad guy for this. Oh, David Zayas is available. Let's bring him in. The premise really isn't that bad and could have had a real raid feel to it if it had been done right. Some of the action is done well, and there's some pieces here that would have made it a better action movie if they changed some of the things. The movement through the, the building and the chess pieces of the bad guys versus our heroes. I, I will say it felt like Zayas kept having more and more bad guys that we didn't see get out of the van, but hey, that's either hit nor miss. <laughs> One of the things I noticed about myself is that if I spend a lot of time making your movie a better movie in my head and rewriting it, then it's not a good movie. I like Kate Bosworth, even though her character is easily forgettable. And probably the best thing in this movie is Stephanie Cayo, who plays Jess. 
She's got real movie star quality, and there's some hope that this will help parlay her into better roles. But I have a sneaky suspicion she's bound for the life of Breakdown Lane 2. The bad. Wow. <laughs> so much bad here. So let's start with my biggest issue with the movie. The movie had a lot of potential, and like I said, I would have been satisfied if they'd let, have let Mel do action hero things. Instead, well, Mel doesn't even make it through half the movie. He gets himself killed midway through, probably because production couldn't afford him anymore, and Mel gets top billing and is replaced with a subpar hero in Emil Hirsch, who plays a white San Juan cop with a Hispanic name, which is probably the worst part of this movie. Like his character, he appears to care less about what he's on screen here to do. Also, me having been stationed in Puerto Rico, and specifically San Juan, there are no white cops. None. And even if there were a white cop who doesn't speak the language, no way would never happen. The unseen pet tiger bear thing in Griffin's apartment, I hate this trope. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. I hate when we don't see the beast. I hate when it's used as a plot device to kill the unsuspecting bad guy who thinks he's going to get rich. And finally, I just hated the entire ending. I hate the forced love story between Troy and Cardillo. Seriously? It's a terrible trope that would have worked if this was a movie in 1987 starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, maybe. Those tropes only work when the movie is so much fun you don't care. The tongue-in-cheek ending is completely misplaced. But I've rambled on long enough. Guys, what'd you think? (laughs) Yeah, I guess you didn't like this movie. I thought it was good. I mean, I thought it was decent. It was a decent movie. I mean, you're right. Mel Gibson was not the lead in this. You know, um, was he needed? No, they could have replaced him with somebody else because, yeah, I mean, he dies off, but not even halfway through the movie there. I did think it was kind of a new updated version of a few movies. I forgot the Bruce Lee movie where it was, it was climbing the tower there and Raid Redemption there. So it's, it's kind of that, but... Poorly executed. It, it, it could have been executed a lot better, you know, maybe instead of having a, a Carlito as a white male... Somebody at least that spoke the language. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't. I didn't buy that at all. Yeah, like, I mean, seriously. It, and if you know, I mean, there's no reason for Emil Hirsch to be in this movie. Like no. none. I mean, unless he was the one that said, "Hey, I'll finance the thing." I mean, oh, yeah. it was <laughs> the guy was ridiculously <clears throat> out of place, and yeah, then they give him a like Spanish that, yeah. name. Like, yeah, <laughs> he's not Hispanic. He's German. Is <laughs> he's as yeah. white as white can be? <laughs> but they had to have somebody for Kate to, you know, to. To mesh together, which they didn't even look like they were, could be a couple. They didn't look like they were, you know, some, some scenes, you know, you can see where people are, you can mesh them together and say, oh yeah, they're probably a couple, but these two were just like, look like opposite ends of the, you know, I'm like, eh, no. Yeah, I, I think it lends itself too, Arnaz, to that. It, it's, it's the thing that Dell always complains about in movies, right? If you're going to have a movie centered in Hawaii, then put a Polynesian actor as its lead, right? In this yeah. case, we're in Puerto Rico. There's plenty of Puerto Rican actors. I don't understand why we have to have Emil Hirsch. And if you have Mel Gibson in your movie, let him do Mel Gibson actiony things. <laughs> yeah, and maybe I don't think they could afford him for that for this. And I'm okay that he was in it there, uh, but was he needed? No. Oh, they somebody, needed him. They needed somebody him. needed him to show the layout of the building there, which. You know, you think him being an ex-cop, you know, he was an ex-cop there. You'd think he would know everything that was going on in the building. And it just seemed like he was just kind of winging it. Yeah. And especially know about, you know, an ex-cop should know the number of different places to exit a building as well as, you know, what's going on in the building there. But, you know, that's just me. But overall, it was a decent, you know, it's a decent movie. So, so here's what worked for me. All right. You got the arrogant, troubled, young cop with a lot of attitude paired up with the yeah. optimistic 
Austin rookie-ish female officer, and they're given a bum assignment during a massive storm, and they got to go evac this building. One is a, a descendant of a Nazi, a Nazi person, and one is the retired, aging, grumpy cop and his doctor daughter. And the whole thing is about a heist of, of you know valuable paintings and whatnot that are in the building somewhere. I like that. That part I like. Just a very simplistic setup, right? You already said it. Main thing, number one, right out the gate that I did not like is uh, Emil Hirsch. Why? I don't know. It, <laughs> why? You know, and I, I, I might have even, so I would have even taken if he was, let's say, a, a half Caucasian, half Puerto Rican g- guy who, and he was pr- playing a Puerto Rican cop. I could, I would even take that at this point. But for him just to be not Puerto Rican, not from Puerto Rico, in Puerto Rico, and then at the same time bashing the Spanish language, yes, right? Yep. Uh, doing that, that's not going to fly. I can't see that being a guy on Puerto Rican uh, police force. Um, <laughs> so overall, having him as the lead and not, he wasn't even a good lead. You know, forget yeah. the character. He wasn't even a good lead. He was bad. I can't get over the fact that you got Mel Gibson and Kate Bosworth. And this is what you got? This is what you, even the villain, what's the villain's name? John the Baptiste, uh, played John by David Zayas. Yo, David Zayas, perfect villain. He you got good, these yes. three cats in a film and you can't do better than this? Are you crazy? Are you <laughs> killing me? I How is that possible? I might have flip-flopped it, though. Even though Zayas is Mexican, I might have flip-flopped him and put him in the, the cop role and put Emil oh, Hurst yeah. John the Baptiste. <laughs> that would have made sense, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah be, be the That's bad guy. Would, because, again... Again, this film did have some controversy, um, not totally one-sided. It was almost 50-50 in, the, in Puerto Rico, where half the people felt that, hey, you're going to make a film in Puerto Rico. You're not going to have a Puerto Rican star at the lead. You're going to make Puerto Ricans the bad guys. And then the other half was like, hey, thanks for making a big film in Puerto Rico. So, But I get it. I get it. Especially in today's day and age, we can do better. And I think we're obligated to do better. Beyond that, it's, it still wasn't a good movie. You had great actors who just were not in the lead. And you, Mel Gibson in his role killed it. He killed it. The bad guy killed it. Bosworth, man, she was there. She, I mean, she's a great she actress. She was eye candy, right? Yeah, but That's she was exactly just there. Was. Right? Yep. She was just there. The Tiger thing or whatever it was. Yeah, I'm with you, Ken. I, I didn't really, I didn't know what to make of it. It just, it really <laughs> didn't need to be in the story. The best parts of the movie for me are the parts where they piss off Mel Gibson. And he wants some payback. Yeah. I think that's, that's the best parts of the movie. And what that tells me is that is the reason why Mel Gibson is in the movie. Just to get people to watch this movie. That's oh, all it shame. is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if that's all you're going to use Mel Gibson for, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I watched it. I'm not going to watch it again. <laughs> no, this is, this is a zero watch. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you need to skip this movie. Yeah, I mean, it, so so the thing wow. about it is it, it had promise, but it just had too many other things going against it. And the other thing was, hey, man, you talk about jokes being too soon. OK, you're going to do a movie about a major hurricane in Puerto Rico not too long after Puerto Rico had a major hurricane a bit too soon. You know, yeah, too it close, did seem a little insensitive, didn't it? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. I know if I was a Puerto Rican, I would be a little offended by that, <laughs> you know. Especially if you're painting Puerto Ricans in a bad light, which unfortunately they're the bad guys in this movie. Yeah, yeah I agree. True. Yep. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Every good guy, what are they? White. Not Puerto Rican. Yeah. So I mean, mm-hmm. with the exception of <laughs> Stephanie Cayo. Yeah, yeah. She was the eye candy. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I but, liked Stephanie Cayo. She was my favorite part of the movie. 
Yeah, I mean, she, <laughs> well, had, that, had, she had that young, fresh, optimistic point point of view. And I was waiting for her to get pissed. Get yeah. mad. You know? No, she couldn't even do that. Yeah. Dude, there, were, there were at least three moments in this movie where I wrote a better movie than what we got. <laughs> You know, and, and wow. I think, and I think this movie would have been. You remember the opening segment, the first thirty seconds of the movie, where you get that fight scene where you know Emil Hirsch is desperately trying to get up, and he's getting kicked down, and Mel Gibson's yeah, yeah. coming. How awesome would it have been to see Mel Gibson do Mel Gibson there? Like he oh, comes yeah. out of nowhere, freaking just lights this dude up. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> like, yeah. He was just old and decrepit in this movie, you know. But you know, like I said before, man, I like old Mel Gibson. Yeah, I do too. Old Mel Gibson, he he looks like that guy. You know, if you he's that old guy that you piss him off, I mean, you better be afraid. You better start running. He looks like it. He Ooh. acts like it. He sounds like it. And in this movie, he was it. It just I didn't get enough of that. Yeah, I agree. Well, guys, let's three P this up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with a pause and recommend people. You know, if you don't have anything to do, and you if it's free, watch it at least once. I'm not as a. Uh, Enlightened as Arnez, this is a hard pass for me. I would, I, I, I take that scene out of Star Trek where they're like, everybody avoid Earth at all costs. I'm going to tell you, avoid this movie at all costs. Your health depends on it. And I'm going to give this a breakdown lane pass. It is so awful. And I was so disappointed with it that it doesn't redeem itself anywhere in the movie. And I would tell you that I enjoyed Arnez's movie, The 10.0 Earthquake more than this movie because at least that movie <laughs> was totally not taking itself seriously at all. And it was funny. It had some really funny moments. This movie, there's nothing redeeming this movie. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're taking this as a slam against you. It's not you. If you, if you enjoyed it enough to give it a pause, man, that, that, I mean, that's, that's your taste and that's okay. I'm not slamming you for I just, this movie made me so mad from the moment I saw the previews and it was supposed to be a Mel Gibson action movie. There's nothing in that preview that says Emil Hirsch, white cop in San Juan, who's going to be the main action point of this whole movie. He's not even in the trailer much at all. There's a reason for that. So they lied to you is what you're saying. Almost every scene in the trailer is Mel. (laughs) You know, I got to watch the trailer now that you say that to see that. But I I know we I know we already rated it. But Kenny, I got to ask and I should have asked this before after you were done speaking. I forgot. Is the way you feel about this movie relative to to you having lived in Puerto Rico Um, relevant to you having lived in Puerto Rico. I mean, I would say to you that I, when I see movies in Puerto Rico now, and especially San Juan, I look for specific things that I know are specific to Puerto Rico and its culture and its people. And that's why, I mean, in the first, I don't know, minute and a half that we're introduced to the Emil Hirsch character, there's another white cop that comes up right behind him. That's supposedly his superior. Again, oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah. That would never happen. They, they, they're, yeah. First of all, one white cop in San Juan PD is going to be like crazy rare. Two white cops? Nah, that's completely false. Never going to happen. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you, like, it would have made more sense to have made Emil Hirsch's character either ICE or FBI. Because, I mean, I will mm. tell you, in Puerto Rico, those positions are majority white. Why? Because uh-huh. they're federal jobs. So, so what you're saying is you really could have written a better film. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. And I actually kind of liked, I kind of liked where you and I were going with it. Like if we pitched this movie as our next brother in armchairs production, uh, you know, where we make David Zayas the cop and we oh, put yeah. Emil Hirsch as the John the Baptist evil guy. That'll work. And we toss out the stupid love story between Troy and. <laughs> I would like to Chuck Hirsch completely. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'll be okay. the, the the tiger or whatever was in the closet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, terrible. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Oh. The Old Guard, 2020, directed by Gina Prince Bythewood, starring Charlize Theron, Kiki Lane, and Chiwetel Ejiofor. Available on Netflix. A covert team of immortal mercenaries are suddenly exposed and must now fight to keep their identity a secret, just as an unexpected new member is discovered. All right, so this one's my pick. Um, before I before I celebrate and revel in my pick, I should acknowledge that this was a movie that we had to do anyway. Of course, it's huge. It's Netflix. It's Charlize Theron. It's the old guard. So in in that sense, I will not take credit for having picked a great movie. It's just the movie we had to do. Let me let me let me sum this up. Another immortal movie with nice subtle differences. Uh, kind of like we had that conversation on Palm Springs, having dealt with the time loops. Well, here we are again in Immortals film. It's based on the short series comic book of the same name. The film takes up pretty darn close to the comic book series released in 2017. So in the comic books, there's two series. There's two sets of five books. And this is the first set of five books. So, I mean, the the sequel, which you're probably going to make, it's pretty much already written because the first one stuck pretty well to the comic books. Andy, and now I get to kill a name, Andy, whose real name is Andromach. Andromachi of Scythia. I yeah, think. baby. <laughs> they say it, they say it's so fast. has got to witness this twice in a row. Oh, I know. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I looked. At, I, I look for people to help me out with that name. Nobody can say it the same twice. Uh, played by Charlize Theron, uh, leads a small team of immortals through the centuries, combating evils throughout time. Her and her team only discover they are immortal after they are killed for the first time. And upon their resurrection, they are discovered through a dream sequence shared by all immortals. And this film, uh, Andy accepts a mission from CIA operative, which turns out to be a setup. Merrick, a big pharma CEO, wants the immortals for research and development, and thus ensues the battle between big business, immortal beings, and the ethical nature of medical research versus the greater good. Uh, Here's the good. I appreciated the efforts taken to include and keep in line with the comic book. I always do. Uh, while the film did take some liberties, which it has to, as a film as films are, those liberties are well welcomed by the comics creator, and I read that in an article, and panned out very well in the film. And that was kind of the biggest thing. The change up that they decided to do for the film worked out almost better than the comic. Uh, casting for the film was great, especially with Andy, Nicolo, and Yusuf, and the film moved at a great pace. And did well still, even at its pace, to incorporate that character backstory that you guys know I love. Matter of fact, we still have kind of a long ways to discover more about the characters that are in this film. So here's the things I didn't like. I didn't care for Harry Mailing's casting as Stephen Merrick. Now, if you're unfamiliar with who that is, he's the kid from Harry Potter. I think it was Harry's cousin that forced him to sleep in a closet. He's the pharmaceutical guy, right? Right. So he's the main bad guy, right? The The big Merrick bad guy. But he also, he was, if you haven't seen the Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix, he also played an orator. And for those roles, he fit perfectly. I did not like him in the big bad guy role. I did not think that he was suited for that role to take on these group of immortals. I didn't think he was that big of a guy or the right guy to be that kind, that kind of evil. So I couldn't get on board with that. And also, I wasn't a big fan of the very end how they closed out the movie. I thought that at the bar, when they all separated and went their separate, separate ways, I thought that was a perfect ending. They could have stopped it right there and then headed off into the sequel. The fact that they had to put a literal link 
between the first movie and what is sure to be a second movie, to me, kind of cheapened the film as a whole. I could have done without it. Would you have preferred that to have been a PS scene at the end of the credits? Uh, no, actually, I, I would not have preferred it being done it all at all. Together. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so that's what I got, guys. What do you got? Well, for me, I actually I really enjoyed this movie. Good characters, uh, good development, good action there. I didn't know about the, you said they picked the cast differently from what the, the comic book was there. I thought the cast in the movie was great. So I'm not sure what the cast was like in the, the book there, but I have to say it, it worked very well. Um, I like how they just portrayed all the characters there. So I don't know if you ever saw the movie, the uh, Highlander, those movies yep. there. A little bit different there. I mean, I like how they were kind of doing flashbacks of the ages, you know, how long they'd been, some of them had been alive there. Uh, that was great to show that and, and build that into part of the, the character development of the, the new one, uh, Niall. I'm with you on there. What Harry Melling as the bad guy? <laughs> I was like, "What is he? Twelve? You know, he looks yeah. really young." I'm like, "He's the bad guy, really?" <laughs> yeah, I wasn't digging that man. They couldn't find nobody. Really, they couldn't find anyone else. <laughs> but overall, I thought it was a really good movie. Uh, I look forward to seeing a two, which I'm hoping they would come out with there. And I think if this movie would have came out on the uh, at the movie theater, I think it would have been done well. For me, they, I mean, the good, obviously I'm, I'm with both, uh, both of my brothers here. I agree with them. I love the movie. I thought it was fantastic. Their own delivers. She's a, she's an action star. She's a badass action star. And I really enjoyed her presence on screen. I love the lore of the immortal warriors. Uh, we discussed something similar to this when we were watching Patton where warriors chosen throughout the generations to fight battles. No one can. So I kind of like the, the, the immortal warrior concept. I like the fact that the current immortal warrior chosen is a Marine. Uh, I like the fact it's a, one of our fiercest warriors um, and she gets chosen. Kiki Lane also gives Nikki a little bit more than just a mere follower. She requires an ethical decision in order to fight. So I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the fact that this is a setup movie. This is an origin tale that's going to clearly have more sequels attached to it. So I thought it was a very well made story. I also like the eternal love story between Joe and Nikki. Two people who once fought on opposite sides against each other and fell in love. I actually kind of want to know more about that story. I thought it was yeah. pretty cool when they were telling it in the van. So I, I would have liked to see more backstory on that one. So for the bad, keep in mind, this is all nitpicky stuff. I don't have anything that really stood out to me that I hated about this movie that I, I would, you know, die on a hill for. But I would have preferred a little bit uh, more time to understand Copley's backstory. The movie needed a better soundtrack. I thought the soundtrack was kind of weak. It, it needed to have oh. more of a Matrix feel to it than the sound it got. And then when compared to Highlander, I mean, I still think Highlander is a superior movie, but that's nostalgia talking. And I would tell you that there's a whole generation of people watching this on Netflix that have no connection to the original Highlander concept. And so for them, this is their first foray into Immortal Warriors. So uh, again, this is all just nitpicky stuff. But overall, I really enjoyed the movie. Yeah, you know, you talked about the um, the love story between those two guys, right? Yeah. And what was cool was they went so far as to actually take lines direct from the comic book and put them in the movie. So that whole speech when he goes oh. into how much he loves his what they called the boyfriend, but how much we don't we can't even call him a husband because he's beyond that in their perception, right? Because of mm -hmm. time. And so that whole speech is direct from the comic book. The opening oh, wow. speech uh, where and these characters talking about her lifetime and how she's been through this a thousand times, why not direct from the comic book. I and mean, so Rucka, they, Rucka wrote the script. Correct. Yes. Yeah. It's his book. So, I mean, I would imagine he would use his own writing. 
but you know, like we talked about before, once scripts are written, there's other layers that it goes through that it can possibly change before it goes to filming. Yeah. And so it's kind of nice that they didn't, they didn't allow those changes that they left those changes in, you know, give, give the fans of the comic book a closer relationship between the comic book and the movie than we have in the past. I like that. I really like that part that take on this movie. So Ken or Dale, did you, did you actually read the comic books on this? So I read the first, I read book one and two of five, uh-huh. the first series. Uh, and it, it's, it's really good. I'm I mean, just curious. Really good. Uh, do we ever find out what happens at Quinn? Do they, somebody finds her? So or the, she, the story is different. Okay. It's, it, that's not really her name in the book. Oh, okay. It, she, but, but the character and the fact that she was one of the originals that, that fought with Andy, you know, a thousand years ago, that's, that's all part of the story. And the fact that she was in essence taken away from Andy and she, she's somewhere, but can't be found. That's also a part of the comic book story. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, you were talking about film wise. I mean, this movie costs $70 million, right? Wow. Now yeah, they, for, they made an investment. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt now. But I mean, if this was going to be in theaters, I think that that budget would have been a lot larger than it was. And I think we would have got a more epic movie. I don't, I don't know. I, I think 70 million is probably on par for an origin tale. I feel like this is one of those things the studio, like somebody like Warner Brothers or something would look at and, and they'd say, okay, look, we're going to take a chance on your movie. We don't think that this is blockbuster worthy. So we're going to release this in September and we're going to give you $70 million to make your movie. But had this been a hit, which it is for Netflix fans, I would imagine it probably would have done well in theaters as well. I will say this is a theater worthy movie. Then part two would get all the money. We're like, we're oh, making that's a great point. Yeah. That's, no, that's a great point. So, you know, as we were talking, Arnez brought up Highlander, you know, does it strike you as odd that these immortal people, regardless of how long they've been alive, they have an affinity to use the original weapon that they had when they were first immortal? (laughs) Yes. Yes, you're right. (laughs) It's weird, right? Is Uh, it cool or is it strange? I think it's cool. I think if you are, uh, you know, an immortal warrior, you're going to want some comfort food. You want to have something around (laughs) that makes you, (laughs) reminds you of home, where you're from. Uh, well, it's funny though. She's been carrying around this axe for a thousand years. She didn't be. She didn't seem too concerned that it wasn't near her anymore. Ah, she just make another one. I mean, she's gonna live. She's probably got like a whole collection of them somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious what the marine would have. I don't know. I yeah. I thought it was super cool they picked a marine. Like I I think that they are the most elite fighting force on the planet. And so for them to pick one of them, I was like, yeah. We <laughs> see, we get a you know someone's really gonna light people up. Yeah, I, I really did. did. Dilemma, though. I mean, she was, do I fight? Do I stay with them? Do I see my family? What's going well, on? I think and, any of us would have that. I mean, it's so far-fetched. Even though it's happening, you're still going to have your doubts, right? So I get it. I think that character was great. I think it was played great. And I, I think it was a nice ad. And, uh, you know, that their initial introduction, right? She says, who are you? Oh, my name is, and again, I'm going to murder this, Andromachi of Scythia. <laughs> and then she shoots her in the head. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, I like the little fight scene on the plane too. That was pretty cool. You don't speak Russian, do you? <laughs> no, right? They said uh, they said that Charlize Theron worked. Uh, she said spent four weeks practicing that move where she ran up at the side of the plane and around back of the of the girl to toss her. She practiced oh, wow. that for oh, four wow. weeks to make it look like she's been doing it for a long time. Do you? I, I oftentimes am in awe of how tall she really is. So I remember watching Atomic Blonde and seeing her, like just seeing how tall she is when compared to just average human beings and like that are between five, seven and five, nine, and she's just throwing them around. But then when you see her in that plane, I mean, she's so much bigger 
than Kiki Lane. Oh, and you're, yeah. it reminds me of Taken 2, where Liam Neeson is fighting the uh, Albanians or whatever on the, on the oh, rooftop. Short, yeah. yeah, there's like these <laughs> short dudes are jumping around. He's just slapping them down. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm often in awe by how tall she is. And it makes sense because she was a model first. So, you yeah. know, the models are often very tall. She has done so well to play different genres and it, nobody balks at it, right? No matter what she's in, nobody balks at it because she's so damn good. I think I put her in, in the, after this movie, she's definitely in the action movie genre now. And she, you can compare her to like Tom Cruise and pretty much all of our other action stars. She's right in there. Oh yeah. And she's done, she, she's done the gritty stuff already, right? The stuff where you gotta, you gotta really get the hits and the bruises and whatnot. Marvel, DC, possibly someday. I mean, I think. I think if she's going to be in a Marvel DC movie, it has to be a good one. You know what I mean? Like she's not going to take like, Oh, you're going to be the next Supergirl. Like she's not going to do that. You know who she'd be best at in Marvel? Captain Marvel. I like Brie Larson. <laughs> I would have preferred her there. I would have preferred her there. Man, you do not like the Brie Larson Captain Marvel. She's got this smirk. I don't know. I don't. You're right. I don't. <laughs> I like uh -uh. I, I had no preference either way. I do like the Brie Larson Captain Marvel. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. Something, about, <laughs> something about the way she looks in that role fits. Something. I like her. Uh, yeah, from the comic books, I, I don't know. Reading the comic books and stuff, she doesn't seem to fit that. She's just too smirk. Too, too, too smirky. Too confident to know she has these powers and stuff and it just uh -huh. didn't seem like the character in the comic book. She's a fighter pilot. What fighter pilot, what pilot for that matter do you know that's not cocky? Yeah, but it didn't seem like, game, Captain though. Marvel does not seem like that in the comic books though. I mean, I work with a whole bunch of them. I tell you right now, there's not a single guy on that base who isn't cocky. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got me on that one, but yeah. I don't know. Well, I, I'll tell you this, you know, Arden, as you mentioned the comic books. So as far as the old guard comic books go, I, th I think if you read them, the differences aren't, the, so there are some large differences, but they're not so much where one would be better than the other. And that's really cool. Good point. All right, let's wrap it up. What do you guys got? I got a play. Yeah, I'm Ooh. also a play on this one. And I, of course, am a play. See, guys, can I pick them or can I pick them? Come on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're scrolling up there. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> let's recap our recommendations for each movie today. 10.0 Earthquake. Arnez? Uh, that is a pass. Dell? Pass. And I am also a pass. Force of Nature? Pass. <laughs> pass. I am also a pass. And the Old Guard? Play. Easy play. And I am also a play. And this one, uh, this goes into our rare bin. All three of us found it a play. Hey, all right. Now, remember now, Ken, relevance, right? Relevance. I mean, I, I don't know what that means. We, we had that discussion. <laughs> you know, is it, is it the streamer films are getting better or are our choices getting worse? I mean, you know where I stand on this. I think, no, our, I, I think I... our standards are slipping. But, <laughs> <laughs> or I don't even know if they're slipping so much as that it's the evolution of our, of our play pass pause in addition to the evolution of how movies are being released. I completely, you know, you mentioned that on one of our last pods and it's been stuck in my brain. And I feel that regardless at which time I would still end up with the same conclusion, same rating on each uh, show that we look at. But I don't know, man, as, as we're getting deeper in, in, 20, in 2020 and it's, it's getting grim, everything's moved to 2021. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm still on, I, I think I'm still up for comparing 2019 to 2020. I really am. I feel like even the duds for 2019 are going to be 
just it, more interesting than than some of the streaming stuff we got. I mean, it's, it's got to be more Ooh. interesting than Force of Nature and 10.0 Earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, you know what, Ken? Before we wrap this up, I wanted to make an apology for a comment I made on one of our last episodes when we talked about Hamilton. You had mentioned that you have a friend that played Hamilton in the background all day long on a loop. Yep. Because he or she liked it that much. And I yes, made a joke did. about it. You know what? I get it. I am what is known as a Hamel fan. And I too have had it on a loop playback playing in the background. All so right. I apologize to whoever that was for saying that. Oh, and I didn't give you her name and I'm not going to. And I would also say that I still haven't watched it. <laughs> You're not missing anything. <laughs> I still, on. I still contend that you thought you were watching Hamlet, so Hamlet. you don't count. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> Hamlet. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Don't forget to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you on email or social media. You can email us online at Brothers and Armchairs Podcast at gmail.com. You can visit us on Twitter at Bro Armchairs. Join our Facebook group, Brothers in Armchairs Podcast, or even our Instagram at Brothers in Armchairs Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we hope you catch our next episode in two weeks, and keep an eye out for any impromptu episodes in between. And for myself, Arnez, and Dell, this has been the Brothers in Armchairs Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Aloha. Secret history, written in the margins, passed on like legend. What was dismissed as a myth was, in fact, immortality. You could help end needless suffering. Merrick, he only cares about her immortality, not what she's done with it. She's done with it. Montenegro, 1916. She saved a family of refugees whose daughter would discover the technique for the early detection of diabetes. This one. Her grandson would save 317 people from the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. This guy. This man prevented an accidental nuclear exchange in 1978 and likely saved civilization as a result. The famous and the unknown names. She saves a life Two, three generations later, we reap the benefits. She's in it. She can't see it. But you could.